and welcome back to another episode of Mood for Feud. Welcome to 2024. I hope you all had a great Christmas and New Year's and holiday period. I'm your host Katya and I am so sorry. Where have I been, you might ask? And the answer is, I'm not entirely sure. I planned on having a one-week break for Christmas, and then that one-week break kind of turned into two weeks, and, you know, I didn't get anyone messaging me being like, when's the next episode out, which is really good, by the way, because it really took pressure off me. But so I was kind of thinking like, oh, awesome, Um, no one's even noticed that I haven't uploaded on the day that I said I would. And then my boyfriend Tim was like, people have been messaging me asking me when your next episode's out. So I was like, oh, okay, I need to actually get energy. Holiday mode is officially over. But I thought I'd start this episode with just a little recap of what I've been up to these last few weeks, like a little personal update, I guess you can say. Again, if you don't care about this, that's totally fair. Please use the show notes to skip straight into the episode. But basically, since we last spoke, I've had a birthday. I turned 26. My birthday was on the 22nd of December. It's a terrible time to be born. Nobody's here. Everyone's away and getting ready for Christmas. But it was a really nice time. My mom came down to the city where I live and we were just hanging out and kept it small. But it was really awesome. And then we also spent Christmas together. Again, kept it super small, super chill, but it was exactly what I wanted. We actually had a raglette for dinner, which if you're from Europe, you might know what I'm talking about, but it's basically this grill and everyone has their own little frying pan and you put whatever ingredients you want to eat in your fry pan and you cook it up with some raglette cheese. And yeah, it's just, it's such a nice occasion. It was a really good time. And then we rolled into New Year's and I had my friend come stay with us for a week which is so lovely and I caught up with so many people some who I haven't seen for several months so that was so much fun and then I was just busy enjoying my summer I've been doing so much reading and as a bit of a bummer because I did get sick in the middle of all of that and so in this episode it's really annoying ever since I've had COVID anytime I get sick I feel like the cough just stays for an extra month than it needs to like I feel fine now but I've still got such a weird throat and such a weird cough that just won't go away but yeah I was lucky I didn't actually have COVID I just had some other bug but I'm feeling a lot better now in the um, episode I do still sound quite sick but yeah I've just been having such a nice time enjoying some sunshine. We rescued a stray dog the other day. That was really interesting. Um, it didn't have a collar or anything, so we took it to the vet and luckily it was microchipped and his name was Trevor. And so he was able to be reunited with his owner. We've been monitoring a family of blackbirds that lives in a nest in a tree outside our flat. And that's been really wholesome. We watched the baby chicks just been born out of the eggs. So that's really cool. And today I even rescued a bird that flew into my flat. And honestly, those close to me will know that it was a really traumatic experience, but I'm just going to leave it at the fact that the bird got out safely. (laughs) It's all good. But yeah, I hope that you've also had a great summer so far. Let me know if you got up to anything interesting that you want to share with me. I've been a little bit inactive, definitely, and I am sorry for that. But I do have big plans for 2024 in terms of growing my account and growing the Mood for Feud audience. And so I'm really excited 
for all the things that are coming your way, but it is just going to have to be at a comfortable pace. Today's feud is definitely a lengthy one. I've split it into two parts. There's so many details that I didn't want to brush over or touch on too lightly, and so I did just think it was more sensible to split it into two episodes rather than make you listen to one massive episode. The other thing I do just quickly want to say before we get to the feud is that I do touch on some really big topics in this episode and I am by no means an expert on these topics and I don't want to come across like I am one. And so I guess it's just a little disclaimer that that I'm, I'm just not an expert and anything that I say here is like my perception on things but definitely this is not the place to use as your one-stop resource for these kinds of topics. I'm simply just opening up a conversation and I'm happy to chat more and take on any kind of suggestions. But anyway, I'll leave it at that. It's still a really fun and light-hearted episode, but I just wanted to flag that definitely up the top. I hope you have fun listening and I hope you have a great week ahead of you. Let me know your thoughts once you've had a listen. Follow me on Instagram at moodforfeud and if you enjoy the episode, please do give it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. All right, thank you all so much for listening and for letting me release this late. I don't know. Anyway, I will. 2024, I'm going to try to be better at releasing on time. Okay, have fun listening. Okay, guys, today we're talking about Taylor Swift and Kanye West. This is such a notorious feud, and I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit nervous to cover this one just because it is so well-known and so many people have really strong opinions on it. So I guess just remember when you're listening to all of this that I'm recapping information obviously but it is going to be sprinkled in with like my biases and my points of view and stuff and if that's different to your point of view or what you think happened that's totally fine okay so just don't come for me if you don't agree with everything I say. You guys know the drill we're going to dive into Kanye West's background just a little bit and then Taylor Swift again just a little bit these guys are still so famous today for better or for worse (laughs) famous or infamous and then we'll get into the feud I am going to be splitting this one into two parts I'm so sorry I have mixed feelings about two-parters in the podcasts that I listen to because sometimes it's so frustrating to have to wait another week for the next part but trust me guys there's just so much information on this and I didn't want to rush it and then at the same time I just don't think putting out like an hour and a half long podcast episode is a good idea it's a it's a long time and I assume that a lot of us are TikTok girlies and so we don't have that kind of attention span you know like we got to keep these episodes short without further ado I'll be rolling into part one of the Taylor Swift and Kanye West drama So Kanye Omari West was born in Atlanta, Georgia. He was born June 8th, 1977, and that makes him a Gemini. Kanye West's dad, uh, Ray West, was a photojournalist, and he was actually a former member of the Black Panthers. And the Black Panthers, if you don't know, they were a black power political organization. And so they did a lot of activism and fought for equal rights, um, advocated for class struggle, challenged police misconduct, um, and also founded some social and education programs. And then his mother, Donda West, was an English professor at a university. So his parents were very educational, like very empowering and impactful people, for sure. 
When Kanye was three years old, his parents divorced and him and Donda moved to Chicago, Illinois, where he continued growing up. At five years old, he started writing poetry and so he had like a super early interest into the arts. He basically knew from a very early age that he was interested in pursuing arts. And by the time he was in the third grade, which I think is about eight years old, correct me if I'm wrong, he started rapping. Again, it's kind of actually a bit similar to Taylor Swift. I feel like both of these people knew from such an early age what they wanted to be doing. They were interested in music and the arts and they were going to pursue it. When Kanye was 10 years old, him and Donda actually moved to China. Donda got a teaching position at Nanjing University. And so her and Kanye moved over to China and Kanye went to school there. And apparently he actually managed to pick up Mandarin while he was studying there, but he doesn't remember any of it to, like, anymore to this day. So it actually sounds like Kanye had a pretty interesting upbringing. It seems like Donda was actually quite an amazing woman and an amazing mother. I actually got a little bit sidetracked when I was doing research for this. I went down this little Donda rabbit hole and started looking all into her life because I just, I found it so fascinating that she taught at a university and she just seems like an amazing woman. Then I was like, okay, wait, bring it back. We're not doing, this isn't Taylor Swift and Donda. So by the time Kanye was in fifth grade, he started making musical compositions and he would actually sell these to other artists. So here we kind of see him starting to delve into taking a more like producer role, I guess, but again, like maintaining that passion for the arts and for music. After graduating high school, he received a scholarship to attend Chicago's American Academy of Art and he actually took painting. I thought this was quite interesting. I would have thought he would take... Um, maybe like more poetry, like music writing, songwriting type of vibes, or even continue with the musical compositions, but he takes painting. I guess it just shows that he had quite a broad spectrum of interest when it came to the arts, and he wasn't really like fixated on any one thing. Later, he did transfer to Chicago State University to study English, but at 20 years old, he dropped out to pursue music full-time. And at the time, Donda recalled that she was not very happy with this move at the time obviously she's an English professor he's studying English she would see that as like super valuable which it definitely is and then he drops out to pursue music which is still really valuable but I guess from a parent's perspective you'd be thinking like oh my god where's this leading to what are they going to do for work in a later interview when she recalls like looking back on that moment she says that she is obviously so happy now that he did do that and pursue his dreams but at the time she was not exactly on board once Kanye drops out of university, he starts working as a producer, making beats for a lot of artists. And in 2001, he moves to New York so that he can continue working as a producer um, on songs for Jay-Z. And he also produces some things for Ludacris and Alicia Keys. So he's definitely starting to make a name for himself, but always in the kind of behind the scenes as a producer, making beats rather than actually getting onto the mic himself. Now, at this time, Kanye decides that he does actually want to get on the mic himself um, and start rapping on his own beats, but no one wants to sign him as a rapper. Like, they're very much pigeoning him into the producer role, for sure. After many failed attempts to be signed as a rapper, you know, he's working really long shifts as a producer at the same time. He recalls that it was, like, a really busy time period of his life, and he was constantly working late and not sleeping properly. And in 2002, he actually falls asleep behind the wheel while he's driving and he has a head-on collision that leads to him 
having his jaw wired shut. Even though his jaw is wired shut, he decides to get into a studio and he records the song through the wire for his debut album, The College Dropout. And it's pretty insane. I don't know. I can't imagine having gone through something as traumatic as a really scary head-on car crash and then having my jaw wide shut and then immediately going to a recording booth and being like, I've, you know, I've got it. I need to get this song out. When Kanye looks back on this moment, he was quoted as saying, I feel like the album was my medicine. It would take my mind away from the pain, away from the dental appointments, from my teeth killing me, from my mouth being wired shut, from the fact that I looked like I just fought Mike Tyson. I nearly died. That's the best thing that can happen to a rapper. And I kind of get what he's saying. He probably just needed that little bit of mojo. I'm not saying he he deserved to be in a car crash or that that was a good thing. But like it would have definitely given him that kind of lust for life to get in the studio and just get it done and no times like the present, you know? And the College Dropout album, which released in 2004, was obviously hugely, hugely successful. And this really propelled him into the industry as not just a producer, but as a rapper as well. And I think people started to take him more seriously as a rapper and people were very happy to sign him and to collaborate with him. So that's kind of how he got his jump into fame. Obviously, since then, he has been super successful. He's won a lot of awards, a lot of accolades. He's considered one of the most influential people in terms of his music but also his fashion and other creative projects that he does and he's also considered to be super controversial as we know he does struggle with mental health and he has said some way out of pocket stuff that is absolutely not okay things that are super racist super anti-semitic and I think like especially in the last couple years it's almost been really scary to see how far he's just fallen into the pits of his mental health issues and obviously I want to give him a little bit of grace because you know mental health concerns are super serious and it's not good for anyone to be struggling with things like that. However, I will say, we're talking about Kanye West. Like, we're not talking about that guy at your school who really struggled with mental health. Talking about Kanye West, who has a whole empire, who has access to all the resources that anyone could ever need. And so we do need to hold him accountable, because it's like, yeah, I I understand that you struggle with something that isn't your fault, but it is your responsibility. And so the fact that he just doesn't do the things that he needs to do to get into a good place and he quite often fails to take ownership when he says really out-of-pocket things or really hurtful and harmful things and so yeah I am a bit in two minds about that. He obviously had a really notable public marriage to Kim Kardashian and he definitely I do want to say he he changed the way that people perceived Kim Kardashian and I like I hate saying that because it's like oh she owes her success to him she doesn't she was always going to be super successful she works super hard she's got the work ethic she's got the resources and the drive to be the person that she is but I think he definitely did just help accelerate her career in that sense that before she was married to Kanye people kind of saw her as a bit of a joke and now like she some people still think she is a joke but she is considered as more of a serious businesswoman and yeah I think he just helped accelerate it I don't think he's the sole reason for where she is now though okay on to Taylor Swift Taylor Ellison Swift was born December 13th 1989 and that makes her a Sagittarius 
and she was born in West Reading, Pennsylvania. Record scratch, I always thought she was born in Tennessee. I don't know. I don't know why. I do know why I thought that. It's because country music, so I just made this big assumption. But she was born in Pennsylvania. Her dad, Scott Swift, worked as a stockbroker, and her mom worked in marketing, but she became a homemaker to raise Taylor and her younger brother, Austin. So her dad was like the breadwinner for the house. She came from a pretty well-off family by the looks of things. I was looking at her childhood home that she grew up in and it looks like something that is straight off my Pinterest board. It's just this beautiful big house and like a, I think people were saying she grew up on a Christmas tree farm. The smell of the pines would just be so beautiful. Yeah, it's really gorgeous. At the age of nine, Taylor became interested in musical theatre and she signs up to a youth theatre production and performs in multiple shows that they have. She would travel quite regularly to New York for vocal and acting lessons and she quoted that Shania Twain was a big inspiration for her to start getting into country music. She would perform at local festivals and events and it really seemed like her family were really on board with realizing her dream of becoming a country artist. You know, aside from the constant trips to New York for vocal and acting lessons, at age 11 her mom and her would travel to Nashville and visit record labels and submit demo tapes. So it seemed like her parents were like really on board and super supportive. Taylor recalls that it was quite difficult to get across to these record labels because it was a super saturated market. You know, she was obviously pursuing a country music degree in Nashville, which has so many country music artists. So she realized like she kind of needs to do something different to help stand out. By age 12, she learned to play the guitar from a local musician and he helps her with her early songwriting. And then the following year, she gets signed with a talent manager and she starts doing some modeling and she also signs her first record deal. So I think the talent manager really helped her push through that first initial barrier of getting people to like take her seriously. When Taylor Swift is 14, her family actually relocates to Tennessee. Again, like super supportive. Her dad literally just transfers to his company's branch in Tennessee and like continues working as a stockbroker, but they obviously, they were backing her 100% of the way. And then in 2006, Taylor Swift produces her first album with the record label Big Machine Records and it's titled Taylor Swift and critics at the time and her record label were saying that she had managed to tap into at the time untapped market which was like teenage girls who like country music because a lot of the other country music at the time wasn't being geared towards teenage girls so I think this is actually also like right from the get-go where she's starting to cross over into the same audience that would be typically like the same demographic that would be typical of a pop star and she's doing it with country music she starts opening for other country artists when they're performing and her mom would actually send copies of her cd taylor swift to multiple radio stations just to really get the word out there get as many people as possible to listen to her debut album and this sets her up for her release of fearless which is probably the first album that went notably international i think taylor swift was obviously her first her debut album taylor swift was sold internationally but i think fearless is where a lot of people first would have heard about about her and this album really propelled her into the music industry so like I do see some similarities in the way that her and Kanye both knew from like such early ages 
that this is what they wanted to be doing. And like Kanye dabbled around in college a bit, a little bit less than Taylor Swift, who kind of just was all in right from the get-go. But they both had really successful debut albums and they both had the resources and in Taylor's case, the family backing to give being a songwriter a really good go. Obviously, since then, she has transitioned from country music to pop music, and she's lost her little country twang, R.A.P. I actually had a lot of fun looking through these old Taylor Swift interviews from like 2008, 2009, and she's got this little country twang, and it's actually cute as hell. I kind of wish she'd kept it. Obviously, moving into pop was such a great move for her. It completely boosted her. It made her more marketable. It made her more palatable to a larger audience, but I do miss the little twang. Currently, I would easily say she is one of the biggest pop stars in the world. She has an absolute chokehold on people. I mean, right now, everything she touches kind of turns into gold. She did like a sauce combination of ranch and tomato sauce, and then that went super viral. She's got women making friendship bracelets to go to the Eras tour. There really isn't anything she can't sell at this point. I feel like if she picked up a roll of toilet paper, everyone would go out to buy that brand. She's massive right now. And she is a super smart businesswoman. She's my favorite little capitalist. I know that some Swifties get angry when people talk about her in this way, but she is. She is, okay? And I'm not saying that as a complete negative thing, but she is super smart. We see it in the way that following her dispute with Scooter Braun and her record company, she re-recorded and re-released all her own music. And like, yeah, that was super great to show her as an artist claiming back her music and having the rights to it as she should. But at the same time, what a great capitalist move. It's like double dipping into the same pot. Anyway, so that's like my little recap of Kanye and Taylor. Obviously, we couldn't go too deep into that. Us, we'd be here all day. It would be a three-part. But let's get to the feud that started this all off. Obviously, everything went down at the 2009 MTV Video Music Awards. I think this would have been Taylor's first nomination for a VMA, and she was nominated for Best Female Music Video for her song, You Belong With Me. It's a pretty good song. I loved it when it first came out, and then I got really into it again, like a second wind of it in 2018. I think I might have been like mildly depressed, and I got unhealthily obsessed with the song. I would play it so many times every single day. It was just constantly buzzing around in my head. And the music video is pretty cute. It's got like a little storyline to it. I'm sure you have all seen it at least once in your life. She's in her room like holding up those placards with asking the guy to prom. And yeah, it's pretty cute. This was a pretty big moment for her being nominated at the VMAs because at the time she is starting to get more well known, but she's still an emerging artist. She's still upcoming. She's definitely not a household name. Not everyone would have known who she was. I think a lot of people in her demographic, like a lot of teenage girls or girls in their 20s at the time would have known who she was, but she wasn't someone who like your parents would have known at the time. Kanye obviously also attends this VMAs. He actually rocks up with a bottle of Hennessy and as the night goes on, if you're looking through photos of the night, you just see this bottle of Hennessy go like down, 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 down in a very short space of time, which probably this was like the first mistake was letting Kanye attend this award show, just carrying this loose bottle of liquor. 
I'm actually quite shocked that that was even allowed. I guess that was 2009. I feel like today they would not let anyone just walk around with a bottle of spirits and casually sip on it and probably after this VMAs the producers would have been like okay yeah let's never let someone do that ever again. Taylor's up for the Best Female Music Video Award. It's actually being presented by Shakira and Taylor Lautner. And, oh my god, okay, I saw that thing where he's like, my name's actually pronounced Taylor Lautner, but I just, I can't, I can't say Lautner. Like, my my mouth just, it wants to say Lautner, so I'm just going to say it wrong, okay? So Taylor Lautner is obviously a massive at the time. We're in 2009, Twilight would have come out this year. Everyone's talking about Jacob and Edward and bloody bloody blah. So it makes sense for him to be presenting this award. And also him and Taylor Swift had been rumoured to be dating at the time. That starred together in the movie Valentine's Day, which would have obviously come out in Feb that year. And then that kind of been, I don't think they were like publicly official yet, but they were definitely rumoured to be dating. So it's like super cute. Her boyfriend's presenting the award and then she ends up winning. And it's so amazing. She looks gorgeous. Like she's in this sparkly little like Cinderella gown. Yeah, you can just tell she was not expecting it. She was up against some pretty big names and she's just so happy to be up there. She starts thanking her fans and thanking all her supporters. And then we see Kanye jump up on the stage, grab the mic out of her hands while she's mid-acceptance and say, Taylor, I'm really happy for you. I'm gonna let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best music videos of all time. Of all time. And then he hands the mic back to her. The whole crowd starts booing him because like, what the hell was that? And then he just like shrugs and sits back down. Now, at the time, a lot of people thought before he started talking, when he jumps up and grabs the microphone from her, that it was like part of some kind of organized skit because obviously the VMAs are super produced. A lot of what you see is like pre-planned, has been acted out. And so we actually see Taylor Lautner, who's Taylor Swift's boyfriend at the time, standing in the background, like smiling, looking real happy while Kanye is literally ruining her life in that moment. And he looked back on it later. It was in 2023. He did an interview and revealed that his biggest regret is not sticking up for Taylor in that moment because he just thought it was a skit. And it wasn't until Kanye hands back the microphone to her and then she just stands there like kind of frozen. And then she turns around and that's when he first sees her face. And he was like, oh crap like that was not a skit that was that was actually just fucked up so obviously the whole crowd is booing Kanye people are like up on their seats trying to show Taylor that they're supporting her but she revealed in her Miss Americana documentary that at the time when she's standing up there and lots of people are booing she actually thought that they were booing her because they agreed with Kanye that Beyonce should have won and I can imagine that would have been so tough you know she's 19 at the time she's super young And to just hear a whole stadium, but not even just a stadium of regular people, a stadium of other artists, producers, songwriters, all the people in your industry that you value and you look up to and all you're hearing is like booing. Yeah, I can imagine that would have been just the most awful feeling. She would later write the song back to December and reference this moment that uh, song is written about Taylor Lautner and we get the lyric and how you held me in your arms that September night the first time you ever saw me cry. 
it's just heartbreaking and I guess as well it's so frustrating because this was such a joyous occasion for her this was such a huge achievement and accomplishment at only 19 years old to win the VMA and Kanye completely ruined it and it does signal the way that people behave towards particularly new women in the music scene he was obviously older, he was obviously more established in the industry, and it was a bit of a bully move to go up there and take that from her. And like, what did he think was going to happen? I just don't understand. He could have voiced his feelings or opinions about that whole award after the fact, like in an interview or whatever, said, you know, I kind of wish Beyonce had won that. It's fine. Like, he's allowed to have that opinion. I have no issue with him having that opinion. But it's just like the way he executed that and felt like he had the right to go up there and take Taylor's moment away from her is, it's definitely gross behavior. Not to mention the fact that Beyonce later that night would go on to win Best Music Video Ever award that night. So she was already going to win the like the biggest award that you can get that night. Taylor won Best Female Music Video, which is still a really good award, but Beyonce won the bigger the bigger award and he, I don't know. It's like I was talking about this with someone else the other day, but it's like the equivalent of jumping up and being like, oh, Titanic had the best cinematography of all time. But then Titanic goes on to win Best Picture. So it's like, who cares if they didn't win Best best Cinematography, you know? Like, they won the bigger award. Anyway, one of the producers of the VMAs actually revealed that for the first time, the producers actually knew who was going to win that night. And so they could kind of plan the show around the winners. And so the idea was that right after Taylor wins best female music video she's going to perform you belong with me but obviously you know she's just had this whole thing happen to her she's very upset she was crying and her mum was crying backstage and so they had to like cut to this other clip this little like skit between Eminem and somebody else I'm blanking right now but they had to cut to like another skit and then try and convince Taylor to still go out there and perform and she did which I think is pretty amazing it does show her resilience and her commitment to her fans and to being a pop star at the time she was a country star but you know uh, she was basically a pop star so I will give her big props to doing that can't imagine how hard it is particularly given that at the time she thought the whole crowd had just booed her and now she has to go out there and sing in front of everyone I can just imagine it would have been one of the toughest things to go and do Taylor and her mom weren't the only ones who were caught crying backstage about the incident, but Beyonce was also crying to her dad at the time. She was so upset that Kanye had done that. She felt so bad for Taylor, and I think she just wanted to kind of go home, to be honest. Like, Kanye had really, he'd humiliated Taylor, but he'd also, he'd brought Beyonce into it, and she was just so upset that Taylor had her moment stolen like that. She felt really guilty about it, even though, like, oh my god, it had, you know, no onus of that was ever on her. And And Van Toffler, who at the time was the president of the media company Viacom, he was one of the producers for the VMAs, he kind of recalls the whole moment and he says in an interview with Billboard, quote, I walked behind the stage and sure enough there's Beyonce and her dad. She's crying. She was like, I didn't know this was going to happen. I feel so bad for her. And that's when it started to click in my head and maybe hers about potentially having the whole arc play out in that one night. I think perhaps for the only time in history at the VMAs, we knew who was going to win the awards. We had a plan for it, but we didn't tell the artists ahead of time. At some point, I let her know that she was probably going to be up on the podium at the end of the show for an award. And wouldn't it be nice to have Taylor come up and have her moment 
moment then, I had to indicate to her that she needed to stay and perhaps this is a way for this to come full circle and let Taylor have her moment. I would normally not say anything but I had two crying artists. I found this so interesting because it does show just how played out and produced the VMAs and other award shows also are but it also shows in that moment he's trying to console Beyonce and say to her like you're you're gonna have a chance to make it up to Taylor to let her have her moment is going to be so iconic but as a producer he's really just thinking like fuck we can't have Beyonce go home it's going to be so bad for the ratings if she's not there to accept her award bloody bloody blah and so it is this kind of it is a little bit sick and twisted to think about just how calculated a lot of these moments on stage that we see actually are anyway the night continues Beyonce stays she wins the video of the year award and she invites Taylor to come up and finish her speech and it was I mean Van Toffler had the vision down because it was an incredible moment. I mean, the crowd was just obsessed. It made Beyonce look like an absolute princess, Princess Diana, the princess of the people. And then Taylor obviously gets to come up, finish her speech. Everyone's so happy for her. And we see this like beautiful moment play out of women supporting each other in a really cutthroat industry that quite often would pit these two against each other. They were competing for the same awards, but here they are supporting each other. And we've seen that support between Beyonce and Taylor play out all the way through currently they're the two top artists with the biggest tours obviously Beyonce's got her renaissance tour and then Taylor Swift has her eras tour and so it would be really easy to pit them against each other and discuss it in like a oh who's got the bigger tour but they don't have that kind of anonymity towards one another. They're always showing, uplifting each other. Beyonce literally attends the Eras Tour movie premiere and things like that. So they're constantly, to this day, showing that you can be in a competitive industry and in competing positions and still decide to uplift, empower. And it's like that. It's like that mentality of like bringing people up rather than like cutting them down. So instead of seeing something as I have to cut everyone else around me down because I can be the only successful pop artist women doing it right now. Or you can think like, actually, uh, it'll be so much better if I pull other women up so we can just dominate the absolute world, who run the world, girls, and then be that much stronger. I will say 2023 was such a girly pop year, right? Like we had Renaissance, we had Eras, we had the Barbie movie, and that all happened because instead of trying to outcompete all the time women were actually banding together and being like there's plenty of space and fans for all of us Kanye is escorted out of the VMA venue and he later posts a really big apology on his blog basically saying that he's so upset he did that and like blah 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 it's written in true Kanye fashion I'll post it on the Instagram so he does seem to feel bad about it the moment absolutely blew up on the internet as you can suspect especially on Twitter and Twitter was fairly recent I think it might have been like three or four years old at the time and I think this was one of those moments where everyone remembers like using Twitter to talk about this it's kind of the same as I saw another article kind of liken it to the moment when Google Images was created because so many people were looking for that for a photo of Jennifer Lopez in her bluey green kind of raunchy dress that she wore to the Oscars or was it the Grammys anyway it was to one of those award shows so Google Images was literally created because that many people were trying to find that photo on the internet and it's the same as people liken this moment to Twitter this was the first time where Twitter absolutely popped off so many people were on it using it at the time to talk about this moment at the VMAs it was so massive 
And so I'm sure Van Toffler and the other producers and the other VMA game makers, as I guess you can call them if we're going to do a Hunger Games reference, would have been thinking, is this not just chef's kiss? I mean, no one was talking about the VMAs as much as they were in 2009 when that all happened. And especially with that full circle moment of Taylor then being invited to finish her speech by Beyonce, and it's just, yeah, the girls, you know, and what a massive day for the internet. A lot of celebrities had opinions on this moment. There's a clip of Obama. He doesn't realize he's already like mic'd up and recording. And he says that Kanye West's a jackass and that Taylor Swift seems like such a nice girl. And then we've got Trump weighing in as well. He tells TMZ that America needs to boycott Kanye, which is pretty funny considering how in cahoots those two end up being in 2020, sorry, in 2016 when Trump wins the election. Pink was reported to give Kanye an absolute earful at the VMAs during the commercial break. She was letting him have it. I'd love to have been there to see that. I feel like Pink would have just been laying into him. Kelly Clarkson also wrote on her blog, what happened to you as a child? Did you not get hugged enough? I think we're all just curious as to what would make a grown man go on national television and make a talented artist, let alone a teenager, feel like shit. And then Katy Perry tweeted, fuck you Kanye. It's like you stepped on a kitten. And I think that is kind of what the moment looked like. Particularly, you've got Taylor Swift, who at the time was just so like innocent. I can't think of a different word. Innocent looking. And then you've got big bad Kanye coming up there. You know, like it really was like watching someone step on a kitten. And her face after, I mean, it breaks my heart. I'm, this is probably the right time to confess to everybody that I am not a Swifty. Oh my god, the listener count just went down by like 2,000. No, I'm kidding. I'm not a Swifty, okay? Don't hold that against me. But I feel so terrible for her in this moment. I mean, I want to run up there and give her a hug, you know? A day after the VMAs, Kanye appears on a talk show with Jay Leno, and he does an interview, and obviously Jay Leno brings it all up, and it's like, you know, what happened? And Kanye says he's so sorry for taking away from a talented artist, and that he only wanted to help people, and in this moment, he did the opposite of that, and he knew in the moment he was in the wrong, and that he was rude and stepped on someone's emotions and he also mentions that he's going to apologize in person and then Jay Leno kind of asks him like when what was the moment when you knew oh god this was terrible and he said as soon as he gave the mic back to Taylor and she didn't finish her speech and didn't continue he was like oh crap I've messed up I've ruined this whole thing for her because he did say I'm gonna let you finish I think he thought he would just say his two cents give the mic back Taylor would just continue which is unreasonable to think that of someone of course that's going to completely rattle them and like derail what their train of thought. And then this is so fucked up. Jay Leno asks Kanye, what would Donda think? Which we're in 2009. Donda had died in 2007. So two years after her passing and Jay Leno's like, what would Donda say to you, Kanye? Like, do you think she'd be, do you think she'd be upset at that? Like, what? why would you bring that up? This is, I guess, a little side tangent, but Donda died because she had complications following a plastic surgery procedure. And Kanye's come out and said that he blames himself for her death because he was the one who funded these cosmetic surgeries, I guess. And so even though obviously, you know, the worst thing to do when someone dies is to try trace it all the way back to a decision that you made and then blame yourself for it, obviously. Like he can't blame himself for 
being in that position but I think it's just so messed up that Jay Leno would ask this of him but Kanye takes the question fairly well I thought he explains he deals with hurt and he hasn't really taken any time off since she passed away and that his hurt and the way he's hurting has in turn caused someone else's hurt and so he says he needs to like take some time off find out how to improve and if there's anything he can do to help Taylor he wants to do that and he yeah again just apologizes and and basically says like he was super drunk which is true we saw that bottle of Hennessy One day after that, September 15th, Taylor is on The View and she's recalling the moment from her perspective. She says at the time that Kanye actually still hasn't apologized to her in person and so it's really strange because she's seen him on these talk shows and his blog posts but he's not actually apologized to her specifically. She explains that she had to perform five minutes after all that happened and so she couldn't really dwell on it too much at the time but that it obviously did really upset her but she does mention that she was really well supported by other artists who came to see her backstage from her fans as well and so it did make her feel really appreciated and really loved in the industry. Later that week she would give an interview and in that she would say quote artists that I didn't even assume knew who I was have supported me. I woke up the next day and I had flowers in my hotel room from Janet Jackson. So despite it being a really horrible moment at the time I think you can definitely say that in the grand scheme of things this was a great moment for Taylor Swift. I mean the way that the whole world just came to her defense and all these artists like Janet Jackson who she didn't even know knew her and who admittedly might have not known her felt so bad for her that they decided to send her gifts and write things in support of her and so this was good PR for Taylor okay like you can't deny that. It was a shit moment but she got a lot of good out of it okay. So after that episode on The View is Kanye does actually call Taylor to apologize to her and Taylor later tells ABC News quote Kanye did call me and he was very sincere in his apology and I accepted his apology. Cool that's the end of the feud thanks for listening I'm just kidding of course it's not the end we get to the 2010 VMAs and Taylor performs her song Innocent and it's very clearly about Kanye West. She's actually got clips of the 2009 VMA scandal playing on a screen behind her while she performs, and in her songs we've got lyrics like, it's okay, life is a tough crowd, 32 and still growing up now, who you are is not what you did, you're still an innocent. And now you might be thinking, she literally said in 2009 that she's accepted his apology, she's ready to move on. She actually, at the VMAs, gave an interview and was saying, I don't want to start anything, I want to just move forward, which is fair enough. So why is she now, one year later, bringing up clips of it, singing about it? she's clearly not moving on from it. I don't know, I've kind of got some theories about this. So in a separate interview that I watched, I watched so many, I can't remember where these were all from, but Taylor does mention that often she can't really tell how she feels about a moment until she's written a song about it. And so yeah, maybe, you know, the night that it happened, she's saying, oh, I don't want to talk about it. And two days later, she's saying, yeah, he's apologized and I've accepted his apology. And it kind of seems like the end of the story. And then she might have sat down to write about it and been like, that was actually so messed up and I'm not quite ready to not talk about it. Now am I upset that she wrote a song about this quite traumatic experience? No of course not. Like she's an artist, that's her outlet, that's how she, like she said, that's how she processes a lot of her feelings and that's super normal. Do I think she had to play the clips of the scandal behind her on screen? 
No, I don't. And look, maybe that wasn't her decision. Maybe that was the VMA game makers who were like, oh my God, we need to do this for the ratings, for the views. You know, she might've gotten pressured into it. But I'm just gonna say, to me, that was a bit of a petty move because now you're kind of dragging Kanye again and you could have just sung the song. People could have assumed that the 32-year-old you're talking about is Kanye and then it could have just been speculation and we could have all moved on. But I feel like playing the clips was baiting everyone to come for Kanye again, even though a whole year has passed since then and he's apologized and you've accepted his apology. I just know the Swifties are shaking in their seat right now, but I'm just going to say, okay, I'm going to hold her accountable for playing the clips, okay? The song, fine, whatever. The clips, maybe not so fun. And there were a lot of mixed reviews about this performance. In an interview with New York Magazine, Taylor reveals, quote, I think a lot of people expected me to write a song about him, but for me, it was important to write a song to him. Okay, yeah, like, fair enough. Again, I've got no issues with her writing the song. And then in the same interview, Taylor reflects on the scandal's impact on her and she says, quote, it doesn't really add anything good if I start victimizing myself and complaining about things. I've never had this thick skin that can't be, it's not like I'm bulletproof in any sense of the word, end quote. Again, fair enough. Like no one's expecting her to be bulletproof. No one's expecting her to be okay with what happened. So like I said, there were like really mixed reviews. Some people were like, oh, that was so sweet of her and it's like super forgiving um, of her to bring this moment round again and say basically it's okay you're still an innocent and that it's okay for you to not have everything figured out at 32 and then other people were like that is condescending as hell that is so patronizing he's a grown-ass man why is this 20 year old telling him how to live his life telling him how to be And then other people were like, oh, wow, she's really just wanting to play the victim here, which is different to the quote that she gives in that interview with New York Magazine, where she's saying, I don't want to victimize myself, but I can see how that's the way it comes across, especially if she's continuing to play those clips on screen and sing about it and talk about it. But again, I don't think her intent there was to victimize herself because she's kind of coming at it from a forgiving lens and basically just reiterating, yeah, that was not okay, but it's okay, you're 32, you've still got things to learn. Yeah, that does actually sound condescending, especially when I say it like that. Do you know what I mean? I don't think she was trying to maintain the victim narrative, but I think she unintentionally very much did that. Yolanda Sangweni wrote a really well-written commentary piece on Essence. It was titled The Racial Politics of Kanye vs. Taylor. It is a really good read and it's a really short read and I really, really recommend that you check that out. I'm going to include a link to that to my show notes. So yeah, like it's a really good read and I think it puts a really interesting perspective on this whole thing. And in her piece, she writes, quote, If only West and Swift wouldn't have played so perfectly into their roles, the innocent white girl and the supposedly menacing black man. And I think that that is a really important lens that we need to look at this with because it's so true. And I don't think she's blaming, or at least the sense I got when I was reading the piece, let me know if you have different thoughts. I don't think she was blaming Kanye and Taylor for playing into their roles. But it is really interesting the way that the world was so happy to put them into those roles and to view them like that and to have Taylor this like sweet, innocent, little America's little darling be shredded by this like she says like supposedly menacing aggressive you know Kanye coming up there snatching the mic and it just I think what she's saying is that this moment in pop culture perpetuates this narrative that 
particularly in American society, was being held onto and to this day is still being held onto so tightly. And so, like she says, if only they hadn't done that because it just continues to further that ideology that black men are menacing, white girls are innocent and pure, and we need to protect them from the big bad black man. So I think it is important to think about that and to understand the impact that that moment in pop culture and why it had such a big chokehold on society at the time and it's because it plays into this narrative that we whether we want to or not subscribe to and I know that some of you listening right now might be thinking why do we need to bring race into this this is literally a silly little moment in pop culture it's not that deep and I get why you might be thinking that but unfortunately hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago to no fault of anyone alive today and listening to this today but unfortunately back then it was determined that race was of importance and that race was going to be used to divide people and to place some people ahead of others and so all the way down trickled down to 2009 and to 2023 and even now in 2024 it's really important for us to still consider race when we think about a silly little pop culture moment because way back then it was decided that race was of importance and that we were going to treat people differently depending on race. And now when we see Taylor Swift on stage and Kanye comes and grabs the mic from her, it's important for us to again consider around how our race biases help us understand this moment and impacts the strong feelings that we feel about it. And again, pop culture is a projection of wider societal views. And I was actually having a really great conversation about this with Rosie, my friend, and we were talking about how pop culture impacts society and then the way society reacts to pop culture impacts pop culture. And so it's like this little revolving circle where pop culture then ends up becoming a projection of wider societal views. And even the way I react to this feud is going to be fueled, or to any feud that I cover, is going to be fueled by my biases. And I hope that you know that. Like, I hope that when you're listening, you're not just taking my word for things and taking anything I say as fact, because it's not. The information that I've chosen to pull into this episode and the information that the way I share it and my views that I sprinkle in along the way, everything you're hearing is filtered through my lens. And so you need to just take everything I say with a grain of salt because you know that it's coming from me. It's not going to be an absolute recount of the truth and I don't ever want it to be and I don't want to pretend like that's what I'm doing. Yeah, God, that got really deep. But I think it's important for me to bring this up and just remind you that I never want you to think that I'm duping you into thinking that what I say is the truth. And it's up to you to critically listen to that and and make your own opinions and own judgments on it, okay? So, whew, I feel like I need a bit of a breather after all of that. That got really intense really quick. Okay, moving on. Oh my god, let's let's keep it light. Let's keep it light. October 2010, so one month after Taylor Swift's performance at the VMAs, Kanye is on Ellen and he mentions that he actually had to take a break after everything happened and he had to stop making music for a while and that this was the first time he's taken a break since his mum passed away and since he began his music career. He went to Japan to evade paparazzi and then he went to Rome and even Hawaii and he was really just having to take a break from media, a break from this whole conversation around what he'd done. And he does seem very sincere in this moment and, you know, he admits that he'd had a lot to drink that night and he does take ownership and responsibility. But I will say this is the downside that celebrities subscribe to when they decide to go after a lifetime of fame. But it is pretty harsh that one slip up caused him to have to take 
a year's break from what he's doing and to hide away in different countries and not feel comfortable to be out and about and continue living his normal life. I get that it was his fault and that he made his bed and he had to go lie in it basically. But like, can you imagine if every drunken mistake you made ended up being blasted all over every news outlet and forced you to have a like one year break from your life every little drunken slip up because if you're sitting here and you're telling me that you have never ever ever done something that you regretted whilst drunk then you're lying you're a little liar unless of course you're you can't drink yet then of course you're telling the truth but actually you shouldn't be listening to this this is an explicit podcast turn it off but do you know what I mean so I do kind of feel sincere for him in this moment And then he goes on to say probably the most Kanye explanation for why this happened. He says, quote, I feel like I'm a soldier of culture and I realize that no one wants that to be my job and I'll never go on stage again. I'll never sit in an award show again. But will I feel convicted about things that really mean stuff to culture that constantly get denied for years and years and years? I'm sorry, I will. I cannot lie about it in order to sell records. And of course, this was very dramatic. Of course, he goes and sits in an award show again. But like at the time, it probably felt like he never would. It is interesting. He, and I feel like he still feels like this to this day, that he's a soldier of culture and it's his job to defend the people that no one's listening to. But I think the important thing to remember again is like Beyonce didn't need defending. She was up for the biggest award that night and she ends up winning it. So I get why he thinks he's feels like that, but it's all a bit for naught if he'd just like sat until the end of the show he would have been like yeah she had the best music video of all time and she won the award that is for that so his whole meltdown just didn't need to happen now in the years after this taylor and kanye kind of start to show that that they get along they're amicable they're obviously not running around holding hands best friends but they're kind of letting the public know we've moved on There's no more beef between us. Like, everyone can just continue living their life and focus on other things. They're seen at multiple award shows in the following years. They are always, like, talking together. They seem super amicable. Everything's done. Everything's over. We're good. In 2015, so six years after the incident, we actually start to see the two publicly discuss that they have a friendship in 2015 at the Grammys, Kanye sparks rumors that they are potentially going to collaborate. In an interview with Ryan Seacrest, he says, quote, she wants to get in the studio and we're definitely going to go in. I don't know how true that is. I feel like he might have misread some signals there because that same year Taylor appears in a Vanity Fair article and she says, quote, I feel like I wasn't ready to be friends with him until I felt like he had some sort of respect for me and he wasn't ready to be friends with me until he had some sort of respect for me. But she does say that there's no talks of collaboration. And so it seems like the two are really good. They're not just ready to be amicable and move on. They're actually ready to start being friends. And so it seems like a really cool time. That same year at the MTV VMAs again, oh my God, we have to stop meeting like this. Kanye wins a Lifetime Achievement Award and it's actually Taylor Swift who presents him with this award. I feel like, again, this was the producers. The producers were producing. But it's fine because they're friends and it's a really cool moment. Taylor goes up on stage and she says, quote, I first met Kanye West six years ago at this show, actually. Since then, we've had a lot of time to talk about a lot of different things. It seemed like everyone in the world knew about our infamous encounter at the VMAs. But something that you may not know is that Kanye West's album College Dropout was the very first album that my brother and I ever bought on iTunes when I was 12 years old. I have been a fan of his since I can remember because Kanye defines what it is to be a creative force in music, fashion, and well life. And so I guess I have to say to all the other winners tonight, 
I'm really happy for you, and I'ma let you finish, but Kanye West has had one of the greatest careers of all time. Oh my god, these MTV producers should write movies because these are just like your classic Christmas feel-good movie. We had The Incident, we had Beyonce bringing Taylor up on stage, we had Taylor a year later writing a song dedicated to Kanye West, and now, six years after The Incident, we have Taylor present Kanye a Lifetime Achievement Award. She's quoting The Incident. She comes out that she's a Kanye West fan. I mean, what a what a moment. The crowd goes wild, obviously. And Kanye goes up on stage. He thanks Taylor for presenting him the award and for being so gracious and explains that he still thinks about that moment at the VMAs a lot and that he likes to fight for artists, but that he was so disrespectful. And even though he felt so strongly and passionately about the arts, he didn't go about it the right way. And during his speech, it's a long speech. It's like 10 minutes long. We see Taylor and she's, you know, got her arm around Kim, who's um, Kanye's wife at the time. And she's standing there with Courtney and Chris. And it's so funny knowing where this all ended up, that in this moment in 2015, Taylor presented him this award. They're friends. She goes down, she's standing, hugging Kim. It's such a weird image when you know everything that's about to happen after. So Kanye continues his speech. He notes that MTV really played into the drama that night and explains that this was not okay and that they really used it to up their ratings. And he also goes on to say that he just doesn't really understand award shows because how can you choose five of the most talented artists, give one of them an award and then brand the other four as losers? And I understand what he's saying. We have to remember, arts is this man's life. Like he's been pursuing art since he was three years old. And so for him, it just wouldn't seem right that you can even like tell someone like Beyonce that she's a loser of an award. But I think what he needs to remember and what we all also need to remember is that an award show is one very specific metric of success. And just because one award show tells one person that they have the best of something doesn't mean that that's the absolute truth. It's like in their metric of success, this person won. It doesn't mean that the other nominees were unsuccessful or weren't as good. We just need to stop giving so much credence and weight to something like an award show. And I think we are getting there slowly as a society. You know, a lot of people and myself included, just don't think about the Oscars as being as important as they once were because it's like a really specific metric of success to win an Oscar and it doesn't by any, you can't really ever brand one person as being the best at something when it comes to something like art. In the rest of his speech, he also announces that he is going to run for president in 2020 and he gifts Taylor like the next day this like massive cube of flowers and she Instagrams it and like, yeah, anyway. So at this point in time, these two are besties. It's very cute. It's very wholesome. It's very full circle and it's where we're going to end part one. Make sure you sign in again next week for part two. Let me know what you think. There were actually a lot of heavy topics that we touched on and I I wouldn't have done a good enough job at unpacking those and diving into them. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. This is a pop culture podcast, so it is just going to be surface level in terms of the greater issues. But I'm happy to continue anything that I've talked about, to continue talking about that with you slide into my dms at mood for feud yeah i just i'm always wanting to connect and talk to you guys let me know what you think if there's any swifties listening am i being too harsh on her 
I actually shout out to my friend Rosie again. I had to message her the other day when I was doing the write up for this episode because I know that I am so biased against Taylor Swift that I knew I was going to be unfair to her. And so I had to message her and be like, can you just give me a Swifties perspective on this whole thing and why you feel so bad for Taylor? So shout out to her. She's been so helpful, especially in part two. I'll be flagging a lot of times where her perspective really helped me write this to be a little bit less anti-Taylor Swift. Um, I'm not anti her, that's way too intense, but I'm just not a fan. So, and I think that does definitely come across in the way that I talk about her. Yeah, let me know what you think. Please tune in next week. We get into part two. This feud is so far from being over. Some would argue it hasn't even peaked yet, but I thought this was a good spot to leave it at for now. I hope that you are all having a great week. I'm back to work this week. RIP. I'm so sad about that. I've actually just been loving living my best life doing nothing. But yeah, unfortunately I am. I hope you have a great week as well. If you're back to work like me, I hope that it's okay and we're going to survive. We have got this. And that's all from me. Speak to you guys next week. Bye!